Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. If you're a visitor today, welcome. This is a very, um, as you can tell, this is a very formal church. Um, we, we have a very strict liturgy, um, and um, in fact, I have absolute utter respect for churches that have very strict liturgies. Our liturgy, uh, I would call, is a participatory liturgy. We want to participate with Him and with each other in Him, and um, that has been the invitation. Um, that we have been invited into. And I want to say happy Mother's Day to every mother and future mother and um, all the wannabe mothers. Happy Mother's Day. And um, one of the things that um, I am I'm actually going to be talking about the poster child of defeating one of the giants I started talking about. I'll I'll give you a little background here in a minute, but mothers are kind of the poster children of the giant slayer that we're going to talk about the giant today that we're going to discuss. And it's the giant of feel good. So you go, what does that mean? Well, I'm going to get into it, but let me give you a little background. The children of Israel were told by the Lord that you're going to go into a land of promise. And that land of promise is occupied by giants. And you're going to have to displace those giants, and you're going to have to utterly displace them. You cannot compromise with the value systems they embrace, the worship systems, the idolatry, all the all the aspects of each one of those nations that were totally godless. And that was the land of promise. And we started this discussion a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we're going to continue to talk about each one of those giants. Now, the reason I've got seven giants is because that's what the scripture says in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1, that there will be seven nations or giants that you will have to displace. And there was a whole list of these different nations. And as we kind of examined them, we said, um, okay, so so why do we have to displace these? I thought this was promised land. Well, it's occupied. And last week we looked at another verse, and it's the only, you know, this whole idea of possessing your inheritance was just a reoccurring theme throughout the Old Testament. Possess your possession. In other words, just because you have been given something doesn't mean it's yours to enjoy. Let me say that again. Just because you've been given something, it doesn't mean it's yours to enjoy. And for all you guys, I, you know, I'm going to just say one thing. Those tools in your garage you still don't know how to use. Okay? Just because you have it doesn't mean you know how to use it. You don't know how to possess it. You don't, you don't really own it. It, it kind of owns you, especially if it was expensive and you still hadn't learned how to use it. Uh, 
So, so the, the, the whole idea here is that as a, as a people, we've been given an incredible inherent, inheritance in Christ Jesus. But at the same time, a lot of us don't possess much of the victory that we have been promised in the everyday affairs of our life. And part of this whole series that we've been talking about, kind of for all 2022, is developing emotionally and relationally healthy spirituality. It's not just enough to be spiritual. And look, look, we believe that we are people, we must be people of the Spirit. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit is incredibly practical. The Lord Jesus was incredibly relational. And we don't necessarily have the best reputation as always being relationally healthy with each other, right? I mean, all you have to do is find all the church splits and all the divisions and all the antagonism and all the church hurt that goes on. And most of us have experienced that. So, so what is part of what our goal is that you would possess your soul because the inner territory of your life is where all the battles take place. And that is where you have to confront all the giants that you're going to have to face. They're not going to be standing out there in a loincloth with a big spear and a shield mocking you like Goliath was David. That was a type and a shadow of what is going on on the interior of every one of our lives. And it's almost like this. A good example, I would say, would be how about if you were mothered by a mother who was indifferent, cold, and a drug addicted? You have some giants you're going to have to overcome, or you'll be overcome by them. That doesn't sound very sympathetic, but it's actually the most empathetic and helpful thing I can say to you. You don't have a right to be hurt. You have a right to be healed. Jesus came to heal us from our brokenheartedness, not to soothe us and justify our victimhood. He became a volunteer for all of us who were victims. Jesus did not die by being a victim. You go, well, I mean, he was on the cross. That was terrible. He was beaten and yeah, and you know what he said to his guys? He said, guys, there's, there's about 70,000 angels who come down to mop up. They're at my beck and call. Trust me, he was a volunteer. And that's what he's wanting you to turn into in all the victimized places of your heart and all the places where we get wounded. It's not that we can't be empathetic to all the victim because the world is full of bullies. And so I want to read a scripture. Uh, let me go over the seven giants just real quick. Um, I'm gonna, we're going to slay the feel-good giant today, but there's seven giants. There's the look-good giants. That's extreme self-consciousness and self-reference. There's the feel-good giant, which is self-pleasure and hedonism. The be right giant, which is self-righteousness and fault-finding. There's the stay-in-control giant, which is domination of your circumstances and others instead of yourself. 
There's, there's the hidden agenda giant, which is the manipulation by control of information. Then there's the personal advantage giant, manipulation by self-interest. And then there's the remain undisturbed giant, which is convenience combined with willful blindness. And if you want to understand why a lot of us have relational problems is we've got those giants ruling our lives in some way or another, and we're usually in complete, total submission to that giant. (laughs) And so how do we slay these giants is really important. And so this morning, I want to get into a couple of um, pretty tough verses. Um, as I was meditating on all this stuff, I said, Lord, this, this sounds like some of those old hard preaching that Leonard Ravenhill used to do when I was a kid. And if you know who Leonard Ravenhill, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about here. But I, I, I can't help but read you what the scripture says. So let's read what the scripture says. <clears throat> And I'm, I'm in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, Brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, harsh, rash, excuse me, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now listen to this. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. Later on it says they're always learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. That was a major characteristic of these people. Now, the interesting thing about Paul, he's talking, this is his last letter. We know this is his last salutation. This is his valedictory uh, communication with the church he loves so much and to his chief disciple, Timothy. So you've got to understand, he's, he's really pulling out all the stops. He's not pulling any punches. He's He's not holding back anything that is the passion of his heart. And he, and I, I've got in my Bible 24 different things he describes in the end times. I'm not going to discuss all those 24. In fact, I'm only going to discuss one of them. But that list kind of sounds like what happens uh, in social media today. And in politics today. And in fact, it's, it's around us. We're, we're, we're in a sea of this kind of stuff. Treacherous, brutal. But lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That word pleasure there is the same word uh, that we get the word hedonism from. Hedon. It's the word for hedonism. And hedonism is a love of pleasure. Um, kind of the the, the poster child for the love of pleasure uh, was uh, a guy that's now uh, has met his eternal maker, uh, Hugh Hefner, in Playboy magazine. He, he promoted it shamelessly, and he introduced a whole generation, which was really a little bit earlier than my generation, and then, then my generation, and then 
we start looking at the consequences of what's happening, it's the unleashing of the iniquity that he's talking about right here in the end times. Now, what's fascinating is earlier Paul said, be careful in the, in the, in, in the latter times, there will be deep, deceitful spirits that will go into all the world. The Holy Spirit is saying this explicitly. And people will buy into all kinds of lies. So, <laughs> what is this giant of feel good? Basically, the, the, the giant that seeks pleasure. Well, the first thing I think a lot of us think of is, is sexuality. But that's, that's only one component of it. A lot of it has to do really with a deeper kind of need in each one of us. And in a way, what Annie was talking about having fun and joy with your children is, the, is, is part of the component. You and I were built by God for pleasure. I can't share this because we got children, but let me just tell you something. God made you for pleasure, okay? All you adults know exactly what I mean. Now, a lot of us have experienced abuse of that, okay, in one way or another. But the point is, it was his idea, not the devil's, okay? Um, the scripture's full of all of these kind of re- references that we're supposed to delight in. And they're the kind of stuff we don't say on Sunday morning, but it's in there. There's kind of like, it's like the Song of Solomon is the least d- taught in youth group of any Bible <laughs> verses. And it's kind of like the kids go, what does that mean? I don't know. I do, but I don't want to talk about it. I'm embarrassed. God wasn't embarrassed, but I am. Now, maybe I'm holier than he is. Well, that's really goofy. <laughs> but but, but it, the, the, what the enemy always wants to do is to distort what God has created. But ultimately, you and I and our children have to experience the delight and joy and pleasure of their parents for them to have a good sense of who they are. And that's what good moms do. And the reason I said moms are the poster children of slaying this giant is it's really hard to be a great mom and always want to feel good. Can I get an amen? If you moms particularly I mean can I just I just look in the middle of the night I didn't have a mammary gland okay that was my excuse for laying in bed and staying asleep then then finally I got convicted and I thought okay I can't nurse the babies but I can get up and change the diapers. (laughs) 
So, so I was being discipled by a giant slayer on how to slay my giant for the need for the pleasure of sleep. And um, it's really fascinating. The Apostle Paul, at the end of his letter, he said, look, I know that my life is growing near to the end. I, I know I'm not going to be around. But here's all the funny thing about it. Oh, yeah, by the way, bring me a coat and send John Mark to me. Even though I'm probably going to die next week, I'm still planning for the future. That is faith. I really like Paul's attitude. He's like, I'm realistic. I know things don't look good. Oh, and by the way, all the guys from Caesar's household that I've won to the Lord, they want to say hi to you, which is his little uh, punching in the nose of Caesar. Because Paul never stopped being filled with faith, even though he understood everything looked really grim and dim. But he was planning for a future. That's what hope does for you. So he wasn't all down in the mouth, but he knew. He said, look, I, I finished my race. I've, I've been a good soldier. I have accomplished everything God has for me. And there is laid up for me a crown that the Lord has awaiting for me and for all of those who love his appearing. And so, so the Apostle Paul has framed the context of what I'm talking about in a really beautiful way. And here's what he, he also said. Endure hardship just like a soldier. You and I have been commissioned into the army of God. We are family members. We are the bride. Every one of these metaphors has an implication in our relationship. But there is a part of it that one of the best metaphors is that we are also soldiers. And let me just tell you, one of the things, uh, we have several um, people that are retired from the military or have been in the military. We have a few that may be in the military now. And one of the things you do is you make an oath. And one of the oaths that you make is that you will defend this kingdom against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And you know that that allegiance is even to the possibility of death. And you know we get 18-year-old boys and girls to do that every year by the droves. <coughs> and that is no less the commission we've been summoned to in the church of Jesus Christ. So this giant of feel-good, I, I don't think I need to exaggerate the domination of that in this culture today. This giant manifests itself in so many different ways, though. And I, I, I'm going to take a leaf out of Lynn Ravenhill's technique and say, and if it applies to you, you need to repent. And the first one I want to is how we manage our stress through entertainment, through social media, and through anesthetizing ourselves with things that in and of themselves are not bad until they become an obsession. 
You know, we don't teach in this church that you can't drink alcohol. But we do say, don't be drunk. Just like the scripture says. And be filled with the Spirit. In other words, addiction is the perversion of the pleasure that God, in so many ways, wants us to delight in. It's, it's, there's nothing wrong with getting a, a Twitter account. There's nothing wrong in being on Instagram or Facebook. Unless it becomes an obsession. It's kind of the same thing about alcohol, or it's the same thing about sexuality. When things begin to take hold of you to the point where you're obsessing of them, you are being defeated by the giant. And the, the problem is, it's always to get you into a place where that giant destroys you. And so today, we have the most addicted culture in the history of America. We're addicted on all kinds of fronts. And we're addicted inside the church sometimes. And I will just say, thankfully, we don't run into that as much here because we're not trying to teach you just to live by principles. Principles and propositions are really a great deal of what so much of, I think we, we, it's like we really agree with them. We really think a lot about them. We think highly of them. But in a real sense, they're no more powerful to change your life than were the Ten Commandments in the law. What changes us is not some sort of paradigm or proposition. What changes you is participation with the one whose principles you're examining and you're experiencing the very presence of the living God. And what happens to, as we allow this giant to dominate in our lives, I, th- I think it's really, be filled, do not be drunk with wine, but be, rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you see that juxtaposition? I mean, if Paul was just lecturing... That's not what he was doing. He was going, the reason you're getting drunk with wine is because you're looking for a transcendent experience that can only come out of having pleasure with the God who made you by being filled with his Holy Spirit. Do you see the difference there? It's not some moralism. It's not some sort of hierarchy of let's let's be better people than those people. That's not what Paul, Paul was saying. You're instinct to kind of transcend the mundane normal of life is not a bad instinct. But medicate it through the presence of the Holy Spirit that will lift you up and out of your circumstance so that you gain the proper perspective. Are you seeing what what Paul's saying here? He's saying that otherwise you take those pleasure points that God has created in us, those incredibly powerful need for pleasure. I mean, how many of you have been, you know, maybe you just haven't eaten all day 
And the next thing you know is you finally get some food. And it's not even that good, but you really enjoy it. And you go, wow, that's the best borscht I've ever eaten. <laughs> Boy, that, that, that beet stew was really good. <laughs> I'm thinking of all the things I hate. Okay. Um, the point is, God, that's why we do self-denial. That's why we endure hardship as a good soldier. Uh, when, the, when the enemy attacks you, good soldiers don't go, they're, they're after me. That's not what good soldiers do. They grab their weapons and they fight back. But what's happening today is we have a culture that wants to anesthetize you to sleep. The satanic lullaby is to get you so immersed in your need to be pleasurized that you're not vigilant to say, you know what, I've spent four hours on social media today and three minutes praying and you wonder why you're having a struggle in your walk with the Lord. Somebody say, oh my. <laughs> Amen. All right. <clears throat> Listen to this. Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. To live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't know if you noticed that, but if you ever need a proof text for Jesus was both Savior and God, there it is. <coughs> the Apostle Paul addressed him that way. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. <clears throat> and you skip a few verses and get down in Titus chapter 3, and it says at one time, Paul, Paul's continuing his, this theme that he started in chapter 2, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to all kinds of passions and pleasures. Heed on. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we've done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Now, that's good news. We all believe that. That's, there's a lot of things that we could unpack in these verses. But let me just unpack a couple of things. It teaches us to say no. 
to ungodliness and worldly passions. I wish there was something that I could say that was really magical. Here's a really deep spiritual truth. Like if you do this, it'll work every time. And here's it is. Say no. That's it. So what Paul, that's what the Holy Spirit is saying. Just say no. Why? Because God our Savior will rise up inside of you. I, I'm going to, I may, I may never have shared this from the pulpit, and I'm going to do it just because it's me. But one of the things I say to the young men that are struggling with a porn addiction is, is, have you ever tried praying in the spirit while you're watching porn? Well, if you do, you won't be watching porn. You just won't. In fact, that's true of so many things. When you start connecting with the Lord, you stop connecting with the devil. It's just, that's the way it works. Just say no. That's what he says here. No to ungodliness and worldly passion. And to live self-controlled. One of the reasons so many people don't live self-controlled is they want to stay in control. And that's another giant for another day. <coughs> but listen to this. When the love and when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. See, there's, again, there's this alternative passion. When the love and kindness of God appeared in your life. Something transfixed you. I meet people all the time that go, I met Jesus and I quit my drugs, I quit my alcohol, I quit my this and I quit my that, and it was almost effortless. But then there was this thing about my hot temper, I never could get control of that, and I got this problem and I got that problem. But I, I forsook those things. And, and what happens is the Lord's giving you a a formula. We don't resist sin because we're saying no. It's because we're saying yes to someone. It's not enough just to say no. You say no, well, I just say no to all the other women in in the world because I've said yes to one other one. And that yes is so overwhelming, the idea of, a, of anyone else is kind of abhorrent to me. Just, just talk to a newlywed. That's exactly the way they feel. Hopefully, some of you old weds <laughs> feel the exact same way. <clears throat> now, let's, let's, let's talk about the gravity. How, how important was this to Jesus? That we not give in to this hedonism, this, this desire for pleasure. Well, the seed, and this is the parable of the sower. Jesus said this is the most important parable. If you don't get this one, you don't get most of the things of the kingdom. I'm just going to read you one scripture. The seed that fell among the thorns, this is in Luke 8, 14, stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and Hedon, pleasures, and they do not mature. They die out. The, the, one of the problems 
with this particular giant is he gets you to focus on the five senses, the five physical senses, see, hear, taste, touch, smell. And in your desire to make those things amplified in your life, you start denying the God who was revealed from heaven through the, our Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, you become sensual. You become earthly. You, this is why we so emphasize being filled with the Holy Spirit. The church is filled with sensual Christians. And, and I'm not talking about sensuality in a sexual sense. I'm, they're controlled by the five senses. They're controlled by what they hear and they see. They, they, they're controlled by what they smell, they taste. And they're very uncomfortable with discomfort. <clears throat> Here, here's an interesting thing. Um, there's a whole movement out there in the church growth industry that says you never, ever want to make anybody feel uncomfortable at all. So let's not talk about hell. Let's not talk about sin. Let's not talk about things that are difficult. And, and you know, Jesus wasn't always haranguing about sin, but he wasn't afraid to discuss it. And neither are we. We can't be. It, it may offend you. One of the things that's, that's so offensive uh, offensive to a lot of people obviously this past week how many people how many people seem to be kind of offended that there are you know five judges that think maybe we need to overturn Roe v. Wade and you would have thought that we legalized you know how about concentration camps I mean, that's the reaction. It was like, this is the most evil thing that's ever happened. Now, you know what the Bible defines as an abomination? Y'all heard those words? I mean, people, secular people use the word abomination. That's an abomination. Well, in the Bible, the word abomination is really one of its basic definitions is this. When you call good evil and evil good. That's an abomination. And... So one of the things I'm going to do as your pastor, I'm going to ask you to deny yourselves this week. I want to ask you to take up your cross and join with us this Wednesday and fast. I'm going to ask you to fast from food, if, if you physically can, pregnant ladies exempt and maybe some others that have challenges there, but I'm going to ask you to fast something. I'm going to ask you to fast from social media, TV, entertainment. And then you pick one that you feel like may have a little bit of too deep of claw into your life, and would you fast from that? And then at 7 o'clock on Sunday, uh, Wednesday morning, this will be open and we're going to have prayer 
for the unborn so that their rights get exalted because God is their creator. And we're going to pray for Ukraine and what is happening there. And we're going to pray for the church in America that she will arouse herself and that she will quit asking whose side the Lord is on and get on his side. And so if we will do these things, if we will not allow ourselves to be dominated by the giant of feel good and endure hardship and be willing to allow ourselves some space to be under pressure, to allow ourselves to not always have to have everything comfortable. How about in our relationships? Do you know the reason a lot of relationships falter is it's too uncomfortable to have hard, hard conversations? So guess what happens? The relationship disintegrates. Not because of hostility or anything, but because you want to stay comfortable and don't want to endure the discomfort of, a ba- of, of having the hard things to say. So here's what I want us to do. Let's all stand up. And I want us... I want all you moms that have learned to slay this giant. (laughs) And you dads. But, you know, this is is amazing how I talk to, you know, we have so many professional women who are moms. And they spend all day with uh, two-and-a-half-year-olds. And they go, I have a master's degree and I feel like my IQ is falling rapidly all I do is talk baby talk all day long you know what that that's a denial of pleasures right Paul said in 2nd Timothy 2 3 and 4 he said join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Consequently, we have to show the same full measure of devotion. We use the knowledge of our spiritual weapons to destroy our enemies. Getting to the place of soul health is a battle, and every battle includes... The Apostle Peter advised us in 1 Peter 1... As obedient children, do not be conformed to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy as I am holy. We are born again, not by the perishable seed, but by the word of the living holy God, whose seed will produce the right kind of fruit in our life if we cultivate it. Cultivation is the battle to possess our soul. (coughs) The Israelites were encouraged in Deuteronomy, when you go out to war against your enemies and you see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. 
And when you draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. Now listen to this. The Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. In your spiritual pilgrimage into God's kingdom, the Apostle Paul encourages us with this valedictory statement. I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me. Award to me on that day. I don't know about you, but I want to get some rewards that the Lord awards me. And I'd like to have this giant completely killed in my life. How about you? How many want to see that giant, that, that need for excessive pleasure, whatever it is? And by the way, again, the balance to this is he's the one that created all these great pleasures. He just never wants them to be more imminent. He is the great pleasure, though. Father, I just pray for this congregation. Lord, we want to slay this giant. And in our lives, we want to slay the, in, in, We want to protect each other. If this giant is coming for one of us, then, Lord, I pray that there will be brothers and sisters around each other in this place to help us defeat those giants. Whether it's an addiction, whether it is an abuse, whether it is um, a form that is so subtle that we don't even recognize it. But Lord, I just pray that as a people, we would not be subject to this giant, that we would possess our promised land of the interior of our soul. In the name of Jesus, amen. I want to invite anyone to come. You know, I know we had some moms come up. When, we have, when I have sermons like this, people go, well, they're going to think i got an addiction problem. No, I'm, I'm not going to think that. But you might, and you might need to get prayer for it. And don't be proud. So I'm going to ask elders and life group leaders to come forward. Let's pray. If you have a physical healing that need, you need, and it hadn't happened yet, and you've been prayed for 15 times, Pray and keep on praying. Knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. We believe in prayer. We believe in healing. We believe that the Lord is present to participate with you right now and set you free. In Jesus' name.